Okay, guys, the title of the message is Submitting to Governing Authorities. So, I know Brother Jeff just asked you to sit back down, but could I have you stand right back up? <laughs> First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 is our text today. <clears throat> and then you guys can have a seat. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Peter says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. You guys can be seated. Heavenly Father, we come to You today once again. Father, in much need of Your grace. Lord, I am in much need of Your grace. Father, I know everybody in here is in need of Your grace. Father, I pray that You will give us ears to hear. That You will give us understanding, Lord. That Your Holy Spirit will minister to us that You will edify us, strengthen us. Lord, bring conviction of sin where appropriate. And Lord, may we do all that we do today and every day, Lord, for Your sake. In Christ's name, Amen. So we're going to jump right into the text today. But I thought we had it would be good to look at verse 12 from last week. Because it's just a continuation of the thought that he had in verse 12. Of course, last week, for those of you guys who were here, um, we looked at verses 11 and 12, and he was urging his readers and us as well as the people of God to, to abstain from these fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And then he says this in verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And so really we're picking right back up off that, off that thought of Peter of just this excellent life as believers. And if you guys remember that word excellent, it just meant lovely. Really a description of what our life should look like as Christians. Lovely, winsome, gracious. Um, it, it means beautiful of outward form. So he's really just continuing that thought of what our life should look like. Really in this text here in the, in the civil area. How we, how we relate to civil government. And authorities. It's really going to apply to, to really authority in general, but specifically the civil authorities. So first of all, we're going to look at our first heading, submission to authority. We're just going to talk about submission to authority in verse 13. I'm going to read 13 again. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors. So, first of all, let's look at the word submit. The meaning of the word is to place under, to subordinate, usually implying obedience, but not always. Obviously, the exception being when we are commanded to sin. That's rather obvious as we'll look at examples. But I think not as obvious, but implied within some principles that we're going to talk about, is when an authority is crossing their bounds or you, could, or you could say, use the phrase, getting out of their lane. Okay? And so I, I would say this, with a sermon like this, guys, 
My wife reminded me of this when we were driving to church, and I was just giving her all of my thoughts, you know, that I'd been. And she said, "You know, it might be good to to to, to remind everybody to stay with me, <laughs> you know, stay with me in in the text, if, you know, because um, there's a lot to say, okay." So I would just say that, graciously ask you to stay with me today. Um, But generally speaking, guys, the first thing we're going to look at as as believers, okay, we should have a spirit and an attitude of submission and obedience towards our governing authorities and really towards all authorities. That should be our overarching attitude and spirit, okay? That is so important when we approach a topic like this. That as believers... That should be at the core of our very being that we are willing to submit and to obey and not be troublemakers. Okay? R.C. Sproul says this, There is a sense biblically in which the Christian is called to bend over backwards to respect authority wherever he sees it and to be bearing witness to a spirit of obedience rather than lawlessness. So I would just ask you to focus on that word spirit, that needs to be our hearts towards authority. Okay? And so I'll just ask you, does that describe you here today? Generally speaking, towards authority. Are you one Are you one who are eager to submit to authority? Whether it's the governing authorities or any branch of authority. That had better be us as Christians, folks. So we need to start off with just that mindset before we move forward that we need to be those who have, at the very core of who we are, a willingness, a desire, an inclination towards submission to authority. Now the first question we're going to ask under, under this first heading is, who are we to submit to? And we're going to be in verse 13. He says, submit, to your, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We'll stop there. That phrase, every human institution, really, uh, I think we can look at it from really two vantage points. First of all, we'll look at it meaning every form of government, okay? Every form of government. We have to remember what Romans 13.1 says, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Amen? So that means whether it's a monarchy where you have a king or a dictator, much more you know, like Peter was in Peter's day, or whether you're a constitutional republic like we live in, or there's myriads of others. The idea is that we are to submit to every human institution. Another way this phrase can be taken is also meaning areas of different spheres of government. Okay? Different spheres of government. I'm going, to, I'm going to mention this here and there throughout the sermon, but I think it's important to remember that God has established different spheres of government. We have the civil government, we have the family government, we have the church government. Those are the three major ones. And so, the idea of this meaning, it, it, it can uh, be addressing that as well, just these different spheres of government. For examples, or some examples would be Servants and masters, which we're going to talk about more next week in the text. Wives and husbands, children and parents, church members 
church officers. Just some of these different examples where you have authority and, 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 and a command from God to, to submit to the, to the authority. And so I think, I think it's important to remember this as well, guys. And it's really, it's really tying back to the, to the first thing we talked about, just having a spirit of submission and obedience. Guys, this is a major problem in our culture. Lack of respect and submission to authority. And I think we all know that. You, you know, think of some examples. Really, that's, that's, that's one of the fundamental threads of, of a culture that's going to that's going to hold together is, is when people submit to authority. And you see that the, the lack of submission to authority in our culture is out of control. When you think about children with their parents. You think about how many children will not, and, and the, very, the very essence of their, of, their, of their behavior comes back to a lack of respect for authority, namely their parents. Or their teachers. You think of employees and employers. How many of you guys that work out, you know, in the world on a, in a secular job, you see it, right? You see guys. They, they, they just, it's you know, it's just so obvious. If you'd submit to authority, you wouldn't have to be going from job to job. But it's 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 a lack of submission to authority. How about the police, Hunter? <laughs> you look at that for the last year and a half. It's out of control to the point let's defund the police. And it causes really the fabric of a culture to collapse. It's this lack of respect, unwillingness to submit to authority. Guys, again, this should never define us having any kind of attitudes like this. And I'll just say by way of reminder, where did this, where did this rebellion towards authority start? It started in heaven. With Lucifer. And that's the spirit behind it. Satan hates authority. That's what got him picked out of heaven. And that's what fuels all of these different areas that you see children with their parents, children with any kind of authority, and, and adults as well. It's this lack of respect and an unwillingness to submit to authority. And I will say this, it's never going to end up good for a person like that. Whether you're a child, if you do not learn, young people, when you're in your parents' home, it's, it's training on to submit to authority. Because the consequences are going to go greater and greater and greater. Believe me, we've seen it. Up, close, and personal. It's our job as parents to teach our kids to submit. It's, it's, it's the children's job to learn to submit to the authorities. Starting with mom and dad. Obviously starting... With, with God who sits in heaven and who has authority over all. So these are just some good things to remember, guys. This should, it should define us to the core. And I think that's all Sproul was trying to say in his, in his comment. Was at the very core of us, we should be willing to submit. Okay? Secondly, why are we, why are we to submit? Oh, but before I go to that, guys... Again, I had a lot to say, so I, I was trying to write, add some things in there because I didn't want to forget. And this is one of those things I almost forgot. But I saw my little, little bitty notes to the side. I wanted to give a few examples, guys, of uh, before we move on to the next question, of just what it looks like for some people to, to step out of their lane. 
Okay? Because I think it's real helpful when we see these, when we think about them. Okay? Think about, let's look at church government. Think about a pastor, okay? You can think of me or somebody else. But what would it, you know, a pastor has in, in um, Hebrews 13, 17, it tells the people to, to, submit and, to submit to and obey your leaders because they're watching over your soul. So a pastor has a certain amount of authority in the church, right? Because God has established it for order and these type of things. But does a pastor have a right to come to you and make all the rules in your home? Does he have that right? And they could even be good biblical rules that that he could somehow align with Scripture. But he's stepping out of his lane by coming in in an area of government where God has not given him that authority. That's an example of somebody stepping out of their lane. Parents. There's one way parents... Uh, we'll look at two examples from parents. You know, uh, an example of a parent really asking his children to do something that which is outright evil, okay? What if a dad said, hey son, I want you to go over to the neighbor's vegetable garden and steal some of the vegetables. We're getting low. Should that child submit to him? Submit? No, he shouldn't. Now, he may have to. He may, he may have to. You know what I mean? But, but in God's eyes, that child is free to resist that. Because that goes directly against what God says. So I understand there's going to be times, guys, when, when people are in a position where they can't do anything about it. They're under such oppression. But that's an example of a father instructing his son to sin against God. And that's not right. What about a father who's going to go over and he knows his neighbor's children are lying to their parents, disobeying their parents, and he marches over there and he says, this is your consequence, young man, for lying to your dad. You're grounded for the next week. Now, it may be a good biblical principle to punish somebody for lying, but he does not have the authority to go ground his neighbor's kids. Do you see that? That's, these are just examples of how authorities, who they have a certain authority from God, but they can step out of the lane they've been given. And so we'll come back to that because the same would be true for civil authorities. They can step out of their lane. But we'll come back to that later. So secondly, let's look at, or let's ask the question, we're still in verse 13, why are we to submit? And really we'll come back to this at the very end because it's so important, right? In verse 13, he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Our motivation, guys, in other words, should be to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Should it not? Right? Any this submission, it should be for the Lord's sake. And let me say this, guys. Before, before I go further, if I haven't been clear from the pulpit uh, with, with what I'm about to say, I apologize. But I want to be clear that this whole idea for the Lord's sake, it, it should drive us as believers in everything we do. So when we look back at this past year and a half, and we've went through the, all of the stuff that's gone on in our culture, wearing masks, people taking vaccines or not taking vaccines, I just want you to know my view on that, okay? It, and, and I think I stated these things back then, but I, I just want to make real clear now. Whether you have chosen to wear a mask or not wear a mask, guys, I do not think more or less of any of you 
in these areas. Whether you have been vaccinated or choose not to get vaccinated, I think no less of any of you. And I would, and I would lovingly tell you as your pastor that if you do have that mindset toward your brother and sister, you need to repent. Because that's not what, that's not what we're about. These are conscience issues. And so I just want you to know that we do these things if, if you choose, if you have chosen to wear a mask or to be vaccinated or vice versa, do it for the Lord's sake. Amen? For the Lord's sake. And we need to have grace with our brothers and sisters in these areas that are a matter of conscience. Okay? So, so we do these things for the Lord's sake. In other words, our motivation should be to honor and glorify the Lord as believers. Okay? But I think one way to glorify Him, maybe the best way to glorify Christ, is to imitate Him. To imitate Him in our submission to authorities. Look at verses 21 and 23, which we're going to cover probably you know, just here in a few weeks. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You think Jesus was treated unjustly, guys? The man obviously was without sin. He was the most unjustly treated man who ever walked this earth. He did not, he did not, the scripture says he uttered no threats. We need to have the same spirit about us before we start raising up our fist and saying, this is unjust. We just need to remember these things. Jesus denounced the sins of the Jewish leaders, but he never sought to overturn their authority. In 2 Corinthians 10. 3 through 5, we're just, again, I ask that you stay with me. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. These are just good reminders for us to have. Uh, sorry, I'm in the wrong book. 2 Corinthians, not first. 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do, not, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. I think we just, this is basic Christianity, but we need to be reminded of this, guys. That our weapons, our warfare is not of the flesh, but, uh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive as to the obedience of Christ. Another reminder we need in this, in this area before we move on is what he said to Pilate in John 18.36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the, to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And so don't mishear me. Okay? Jesus is not teaching passivism like it's wrong to own a weapon. Okay, He clearly commands instructs His disciples in Luke 22 to purchase a sword. Okay, 
But we need to keep these things in in their proper place. It was for self-defense, not overthrowing the government. Okay? Not overthrowing the government. So, beloved, we we are not to be politically or socially subversive with the idea of undermining their power and authority. And remember, all authority is established by God. It's established by God for the preservation of society. Okay, you can think of even the, the most wicked, harsh rulers, guys, would be so much better than anarchy. When you think of anarchy, you think of the depravity of man that we talk about unleashed on society. Okay? So God has established government, all forms of government, for the preservation of society and for our good. Now let's look at the government's role in verse 14. Verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. The punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Listen to Psalm 34. Verses 13, 14, and 16. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The face of the Lord is against evildoers. It's against evildoers. Excuse me. It's really important to remember. We're going to look at a few examples in Scripture. That when rulers get this backwards, guys, we are free to resist. Okay? When rulers get this backwards of evil and good, when they get that backwards, we are free to resist. Turn to Daniel chapter 3. Very familiar passages of Scripture. But guys, I know the temptation for some of us. I've been a Christian long enough as sometimes we can, we can forget about the... the you know, the passages in Scripture that we all know so well. That are so clear, but we forget they have so much to teach us. Okay? So we're going to look at a few examples in the old, a few in the new, of what resistance looks like and what it's not. Daniel chapter 3. This is Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. In verses 1-7, through 7, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar had made an image of gold to be worshipped. Um, he invited basically all the governing authorities under him to come to the dedication of the image. And then the command was given to the people that at the sound of the music and the instruments, they are to fall down and worship the image. And it says, the, the, the command was, whoever does not fall down and worship the image will be cast into the furnace of fire. Now I want to make this note. I may come back to it, but it says the people obeyed the command. Most of the people. Now let me ask you this. They obeyed this command to fall down and worship this image. Do you think that was pleasing to God? No, it was not. So let's pick it up in verse 8. Let's pick it up in verse 8. This is Daniel 3. We're going to read 8-18, through okay? I, I will confess to you, my wife knows this. I wish I was better at this. I'm not... One of my weaknesses is, is summarizing a narrative. So a lot of times I, I, I just have to read it because I'm afraid I'm just going to 
mess it up. Okay? So, but it's not a lot. Uh, Daniel 3, 8 through 18. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, It is true, or is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So the people obeyed. Most of the people obeyed the authority. And these three men did not. We're going to look at some more examples but I think it's important to remember this text. I think this is, I think this is where a lot of people get, get confused. In Romans 13.2, the phrase, it's a very, very direct phrase. It says, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And so people look at that and they're just like, whoa, we can never oppose the authority because God's instituted and then we're opposing God. But we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. That, that, that's what these men just did. They opposed the authority that God had established. Because Nebuchadnezzar was asking him, and I know that's an obvious, it's an obvious example from Scripture, but that's exactly what they're doing. They are resisting the authorities. Because he was asking them to commit idolatry. Okay? So they they resisted, the people obeyed, they resisted. They were the ones that pleased God in that example. Flip over Daniel 6. Another another. One of the most famous Bible stories that we read our children. Um, great example of, of what we're looking at. Daniel 6, 1-10. through 10. Let's read it real quickly. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find, they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. 
I, w- I wish that could be said about all of us. Daniel had a great reputation. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the, all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Now, that that will be the longest text that I read but we see Daniel resisting. Okay, Now we see him simply doing what he had always done, but he could, have, he could have hidden secret. He could have done it in secret, still been praying to his God, but he didn't. He resisted the king's injunction. And of course we know the result. He was, he was thrown into the lion's den. Now turn to Acts 4. Acts 4 and Acts 5. All of these are really, really probably clear examples that we're familiar with. But we're just looking at some examples in the text and we will, we will move on from there and we'll discuss these things. Acts 4, 18-20. Peter and John had been preaching. Verse 18, And when they had summoned the authorities, when the, the authorities had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, and said to them, "Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than, or to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard." And over chapter five, verse twenty-seven and twenty through twenty-nine, when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, "We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us." But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. Okay? Very clear. And then one other example. Back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 1, um, you guys have heard of the Hebrew midwives. We're going to look at it real quickly in, in Exodus 1 and then a reference to it in Hebrews 11. So Exodus 1, verses 15 through 17. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra. I'm sorry if I get these names from Betrum. And the other was named Pua. And he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then he shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them but let the boys live. And then, and then let me read a passage in Hebrews real quickly that uh, is, is a commentary on that passage. Hebrews, I believe it's 11.23, says this. 
Hebrews 11.23, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay, so, so what we see here in some of these texts, we see... Um, we see these different folks in the Bible resisting authority, what, they, what they're clearly commanded to do. And so the, so the idea, guys, is when we look at a verse like Romans 13.2, we have to interpret it with the rest of Scripture. Whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. We know that that's not writing the government a blank check and just saying, whatever you say, we'll obey. It's clearly established in Scripture that there are exceptions. And so I think it's really important to ask this question. We're still... Let me turn over to 1 Peter again, guys. We are still in verse 14. And so the question we have to ask, it's real important to answer this question. Who defines evil? Who defines what's good and evil? Who gets to define that? In the text that we just looked at, the two in Daniel and Acts and then Exodus and Hebrews, the first two we looked at, they were being asked to commit idolatry, right? Is idolatry evil? In God's eyes, absolutely it's evil in God's eyes. Ask the nation of Israel whether idolatry is evil. That's why they kept being punished by God because of their idolatry. That's really the history of the nation of Israel. Commit idolatry, go to judgment. Idolatry is evil. So it was a good thing that they resist. Is killing little babies evil? I know these are obvious, guys, but it's establishing a principle to help us see. Of course, killing little babies is evil. And so these Hebrew midwives were right in resisting what the king said. Because of Romans 13, 2, I mean... Do we just write the authorities a blank check? It says whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Of course it's not a blank check. There are, there are exceptions, and it's not simply just preaching the Gospel. But that's the next one that we looked at in Acts, right? Is trying to stop the Gospel of Jesus Christ evil? Absolutely. I would say that's maybe the most evil, although we don't need to get into ranking these things, but the Gospel message that God has given where sinners can be reconciled to God, and you think of our loved ones, you think of your loved ones who don't know Christ, and they're headed for an eternal hell, the message, the only hope for them, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we can be reconciled to God, for an authority or anybody else to try to stop that is evil in God's eyes. And it should be stopped. Or resisted, put it that way. I'm always amazed that this is... Kind of a side note, but I'm always amazed whenever you're preaching the gospel in public and a professing Christian comes up and tries to stop you. And it's like, you're a professing Christian. What are you doing trying to stop the gospel from going forth? But of course that would be evil in God's eyes. And obviously, very easy answer. No, we're, we're going to obey God and not man. And so, but just with that in mind, guys, God is the one who defines good and evil. Not sinful men. Remember what Isaiah 5.20 says? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. God would say woe to all of these leaders who He put in place of power. 
They're disobeying Him. And so it made me think this, this portion of... This was a really difficult message to put together because there was so much. And I'm just, I was trying to put it together in a, in a way that it would kind of flow. And so when I thought of this, when I, when I thought of this whole who defines evil and, and governments clearly asking people to do something that's evil, it made me think of the Equality Act. Now maybe some of you aren't familiar with this Equality Act. I'm not like an expert in it, but I know that our government, that's what they want. That's, a, that's one of the first things that our president wanted when he came into office. And so why do I bring that up, guys? Because if the Equality Act gets passed, and I don't know why it hasn't, okay? But it's, it, it, it is going to call evil good and good evil as a law. And it's going to affect Christians. It's going to really make, really being a biblical Christian, living out your faith, illegal in many ways. That's real. That's what they desire to pass in our land. I have been in another country and seen it personally where I could have been arrested by saying, simply saying what the Bible said is true about a certain sinful lifestyle. And, and, and that's, that's what they want. I'm, I'm going to mention more of that later, guys, but that could affect every one of us. So it's good to think through these things. The point is, is that wicked governments don't get to define good and evil. There's, and neither do we. God does. So we have to keep that in mind. You see how this is multi-layered? That's why I wanted to start out by saying our greatest desire as Christians should be to submit and to obey. That should be our greatest. It should be the foundation of everything. But it's not a blank check for the government or anybody else. Any, any realm of authority. So this is what we see, guys. The, some of the examples that we just looked at in Scripture. This is what we see. We, we are called to stand against, resist, whatever word you want to use. And I think, I think many, because I've heard this from multiple people, I think the word defy tyrants, it sets people aback because it's a very strong word, defy. But whether you want to call it resisting authorities, standing against, defying tyrants, that's what, every example we just looked at, that's what they were doing. Whatever phrase you want to use. They were standing in defiance and saying, no, we're not going to do what you asked us to do because it's evil. It's simple. We're going to obey God. But this is the point, guys. We stand against, we resist evil when it's biblical to do so. First of all, why? Because Christ is Lord, ultimately. And that's who we're, that's who we're seeking to obey. And then we have to remember this. In every one of these examples that we looked at in Scripture, guys, we resist whenever we have a biblical reason to do so and then that will result in persecution. And we need to be willing to face that. When we stand against something that is clearly evil, we need to be ready to be persecuted. And the response when you're persecuted is not to raise your fist or raise your rifle, but to be faithful and obedient to God and, and to preach the Gospel. That's the best thing I can say. That's when we see God move. Is when... His people suffer persecution. But that's what we see, guys. We see, we see in all of these cases, we see them taking a stand, 
and say, no, I'm going to obey God rather than man and we'll suffer the consequences, whatever those are. We don't go to war. We don't start a revolution because we don't get what we want. That's not what I have ever meant by the phrase defying tyrants. And, I, and I'll, I'll mention this later. A defying a tyrant in my case with this position and it could happen so easily if the Equality Act ever gets passed. Somebody finds out I'm a pastor. Somebody comes to me and wants me to marry Bob and Joe. And I say, nope, not going to do it. Christ is Lord, not the state. Well, then you're going to go to prison or you're going to be fined more money than you have to pay. Well, then I'll take that. Peaceably. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to get ugly. I'm not going to get loud. I'm just going to say, I'll obey God rather than man. And it could come in myriads of different ways, in myriads of different workplaces. But that's what we see, guys. Resist evil. And then, and then that's really when the persecution comes. That's what I see. God uses persecution, guys, to advance His kingdom. Do you understand that? He uses persecution to, to advance His kingdom. And this is another important thing to remember. A government that fails in this area, and they want to call evil good and good evil, they are failing. They are sinning against God. And we as the church have the authority from God to be a prophetic voice and to command them to repent. And to remind them. What is, what is Romans 13? It's, it's, it's verses 3 and 4. They need to be reminded, well, I don't need to turn it, that they are a minister of God. They're a servant of God. They're a deacon of God. And when they are punishing people for doing good and rewarding those for doing evil, they are sinning against God. And we have the right as the church, again, not to point our weapons at them, but to, to have a John the Baptist and say, you, sir, are sinning against God. Herod, you're sinning against God and you need to be reminded that you're going to kiss the Son. That's our job. Have a prophetic voice. Not raise our weapons. Not go out in the streets and riot. That's not the church's job. Our job is to preach the truth in love. Sometimes it has to be firm. That's the church's job. Another part of submitting to authority, guys, is 1 Timothy 2. Pray for them. And the context is for their salvation. We need to be praying for our governing authorities. God has so convicted me of that. So thirdly, in verse, uh, really, really in verses 15 through 17, the, the phrase in verse 16 is, uh, in, in the NAS it says this in verse 16, act as free men. Your version may say just uh, as free men. The idea, guys, is because is, the whole text is about submitting to authority. So the whole deal is to submit. In other words, our submission to governing authorities should be as those who are free. We're free. We're free in Christ. So that's what we're going to look at in this last 
Last, last heading. Submission to those as those who are free. Why? Because it's the will of God. I think it's in verse 15. That all of this is the will of God. Everything it's saying is the will of God. That when we do what is right, what does it say? We, we silence the ignorance of foolish men. The word silence means to restrain, muzzle, or make speechless. The word ignorance, it's not merely a lack of knowledge, but a willful, hostile rejection of the truth. These foolish men, senseless, without reason. So, so our submission should be as those who are free men. Free in Christ is what it means. Now how do we do this? Or what does it look like? Well, in verse 15 it just says, for, the, for such is the will of God that by doing right. By doing right. By living righteously. By, by, by living an obedient life in the sight of God. We can silence the ignorance of foolish men. Flip over to Titus. There's really three passages that deal with this submission to authority. And, and Titus is the third one. But Titus, I want to read it because it, it gives a little more insight maybe what this good life looks like. Titus, chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1-8. through eight. It goes real quickly. Because I was going to read just like verse... Um, couple verses, but I decided to read just because it's a picture of God saving us and why we should live this this good life, this excellent life that we talked about last week. It's because of what God has done for us and to us and in us. It should be our motivation for everything we do, including our submission to the authorities. Okay, let's let's look at Titus three, one through eight. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. To malign no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. You hear that language, guys? That's how we should be. Our life should be on display to the world and towards the authorities with that regard. For, for, For why? We also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, Spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit when He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. These things are good and profitable for men. When we, because of what Christ has done in our life, Display this kind of character to the world, to the authorities, to all who are watching. That should describe us, guys. There's such a balance to these things. What I see is just these two extremes. And people are speaking over each other's head. There is an essence where we defy tyrants, but it's not what many people may think. It's not raising our fist and going out and starting some revolution. It's simply saying, no, I'm going to obey God and not you. 
You've either stepped out of your lane or, you, or you've asked me to do something inherently sinful and I'm not going to do it. And we don't need to be ugly in doing it. We just need to be firm and faithful to Jesus Christ. So doing right, righteous living, obedience to God. And, and we got to remember this, guys. We may suffer for doing what is right. We may suffer for doing what is right. Look at verse 20 in the same chapter in 1 Peter 2. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right, and again, who defines right and wrong? God defines right and wrong. If we do what is right and suffer for it patient, and hold on, I'm sorry. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it patient, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. What finds favor with God? Doing the right thing and suffering for it. That's what finds favor with God. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing for doing what is wrong. Have you guys forgotten? We, we've been called by God to suffer for Him. I think some of us are having a hard time with that in this country. True Christians, man. We've been called not only to believe, but to suffer for Jesus Christ. And we suffer when we do what's right, not when we go out and do what's wrong. Chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. Isn't that great, guys? We do what is right. We entrust our souls to Him. And we take whatever suffering may come. So this silencing in verse 15, it says, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Much, much like we talked about last week in verse 12, guys, this may be in this life, some of it may be eschatological language where their mouth is shut on the day of judgment. Could be some of that as well. But what will happen that our doing right, guys, will lessen the slanderous accusations that are made against us. When we just do what's right, when we live a peaceable life, we respect others, we're gentle, we're loving, we speak the truth, we take persecution. Many times, guys, that's when the world notices whenever Christians suffer at the hands of wicked men. And people are just like, how could this be? A lot of times that's what God uses to get the attention of other people who do not know Christ. When they see Christians bearing up under persecution and not waving their fists and fighting back. Because they have resisted something that's evil and now they're suffering for it. So yeah, the, the, our doing what is right will, will lessen the slanderous accusations showing the person that there is no objective ground for such slander but that it's motivated by hate. It's the whole principle of uh, heaping burning coals on somebody's head and God uses that to show them the sinfulness of their accusations. So verse 16. Let's look at verse 16. 
He says, act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves to God. Again, that, that word act, the idea is really just a continuation of submit. As free men, as those who have been, who are free, uh, submit as free men. As free people. We are, we are to submit to authority as those who are free, guys, because you are free. If you know Christ, you are free in Christ. Regardless of what form of government we are under, we are free. Chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 that we looked at a few weeks ago. Knowing that you are redeemed, remember we talked about that? You were redeemed with, or you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You were redeemed. You were set free from the real tyranny of sin. We've been set free, guys. We are free men and women. Our brothers and sisters who are in a prison camp in China, they are free. They're free in Christ. And they know it. We need to remember our greatest freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Submitting to authority for the believer is an expression, should be an expression of freedom, not coercion. We submit because we're free. We got nothing to lose as Christians. We are free. But our allegiance is to Christ and not to Caesar. As, as, in other words, as slaves of Jesus Christ, we, we obey Christ by submitting to authority. Okay? But we never must forget that our allegiance is to Christ and not Caesar. Whenever the two come in conflict, in other words. We have to remind ourselves when we look at the early church, why were many Christians skinned alive, guys? Because of that very thing. They said, nope. What was, what were they, what was Caesar wanting in that day? To confess Caesar as Lord, Caesar as King, and they simply said, Nope, Christ is Lord. And many of them, they were skinned alive for that. Not even for preaching the gospel, but for that statement. That is defiance, guys. But that's what the defiance looks like. It's not, it's not us raising arms. No, it's simply saying, No, I will not marry Joe and Bob. Christ is King, not the state. And it's going to affect us all if that, if that thing comes. That is a when the, when the disciples would say Caesar is not Lord, only Christ. That is a political statement, guys. That was a political statement in that day. That's what it was. They died as enemies of the state, but they were obedient to God. They were obedient to God. Persecution, guys to God's people, or on God's people, has always come, not, not totally, but primarily from the state. It always has and it always will. That's where, the, that's where the most persecution comes from, from the state. All the way back to Nebuchadnezzar we looked at, Pharaoh we looked at, to Nero in Peter's day, to all the different regimes down through the ages, Soviet Russia, just slaughtered so many Christians. 
Because it was either you, you pronounce communist Russia as, 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 as God or Christ. That's what it came down to. And it's going to continue because when we, look at, when we look at these characters down through the centuries, you look at Nebuchadnezzar, you look at Nero. Nebuchadnezzar was a beast. Nero was a beast. All of these wicked movements were a beast. But it's really all pointed to the final fulfillment that I believe is described in the book of Revelation. The beast. With the, the same spirit behind it all. When it's going to be more on a worldwide stage. Submit to the beast or submit to Christ. I don't know what we're going to live through, guys, but these things are historical and it's the same spirit behind all of it. It's going to come down to some decision in our life, may not be that drastic, to where am I going to, am I going to choose this that I know is blasphemous and dishonors God, but it might cost me a lot. This perversion? Or am I going to stand strong and resist and say, no, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. Christ is Lord. I obey Him. He'll take care of me. You know what? Even if He doesn't in this life, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, He will deliver me. That's what we got to have our mindset on these. Heaven is our home, guys. This is not our home. This is not our home. In our form of government, this is really important, guys. In our form of government, how do we resist? We don't live in first century Rome. We don't live in China. But we live where we live. So it's real important, practically speaking. How do we resist right here and now? Biblically. I'm not talking about the redneck driving down with his rifle on his you know, back window saying, by gosh, we're going to overthrow the government. It's not what we're talking about. How do we resist biblically within the law? We have to remember, guys, this is where we're at. Our highest governing authority in our land is our Constitution. That's real important to remember. Other places in the world, they don't have that. Because these principles are the same, guys. It's how we apply them that's different depending on where we live. I thought a good example of that is just how, how, we, how we, have, we have rights right now. That we, can, that we can lawfully lawfully stand for. So I shared this with a few people last week in a smaller group. But when I think back to our court case back in 2012 to 2014, we had been preaching on the streets for a couple years using a little amp. It was, it was perfectly legal. Certain people got offended, high up I guess, and they changed the noise ordinance where we couldn't use an amp anymore. We were very good friends with the police. They told us it was coming. We, we got an attorney who's a, who's a Christian, a, a ministry. His, his recommendation was just keep preaching until they threaten arrest or citation and then stop. We'll take it from there. So that's what we did. It was a two-year process. Uh, during that two years, I never used an amp because it was against the law. And I was perfectly fine with that. I even had another brother who put his amp on one. I was like, what are you doing? That's against the law. We're not going to do that. We want to be faithful. And so we did. We, we went through the process. We ended up winning the case. Uh, Rick had said, I think it's unconstitutional what they're doing. They were, other people could use amplification, but they just said we couldn't. And so, within our rights, lawfully, we resisted. 
Because I thought it was worth it. I wanted more people to hear the Gospel. There were Christians pushing back against us. There was a big deal on K4's website. It was ugly. Christians suing Oklahoma City. Made us look like fools. No, we were simply fighting within the law our rights. We were resisting. Because we were told by a solid Christian brother who's a constitutional lawyer that I think you can win this. I don't think they have a case. And they didn't. And during that time, from 2012 to 14, on my job is when I discovered the bus station. And I went there one time without an amp and realized, I need an amp here. The buses are too loud. And so because of that, guys, we won that case within our rights, legally. And so we got our... I carry a noise ordinance everywhere I go now. It says we have the right to do this. And so I share that, guys. For those of you guys who like preaching and like using an amp, you're welcome. And I say that in all seriousness. That is how we, we, we held to these biblical principles. We resisted. But you see how we did it? We did it within the law. If it was not within the law, we wouldn't have done it. We didn't make a big scene about it. I never put an amp on during those two years because I understand the principle of submitting to authority. But now that the, the law has been changed, I've, I've told Hunter this. I've had Oklahoma City police officers come up and say, you need a permit to do that. You know, and you want to be gracious and say, no, I don't. <laughs> and you show them the, the law. They read it. Oh, you're good to go. But we had to fight for that. I understand, guys, that's a very small picture, but that is a picture, an illustration. Some days we might, not have, we might not have those rights, but I thought, why we got them? Because it wasn't even about preaching the gospel. That was their argument. We're not telling you you can't preach the gospel. You just can't use that little amp that literally people past that wall can't even hear. But yet, other people are going to be out there blaring profanity. And so, we won. And, and as a result, thousands of people have got to hear the gospel who wouldn't have heard it. That's why we did it. So that's an example how we resist, much like in Acts chapter 22. Real quickly, guys. Because I, I just want you, to, I want you to see it, that it's a biblical principle, guys. Acts chapter 22, verse 25 through 29. Paul had been preaching, had gotten in trouble with the authorities. It says this, But when they stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful? For you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman. The commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him. And the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman because they put him in chains. What was he doing? He was appealing to his rights as a Roman citizen. It's exactly what we did. Okay? There's other times where in different forms of government, different circumstances, you don't have those rights to appeal to. You just take what's coming. But it's not wrong to resist within the law. Okay? Within the law. So he appealed to his rights within the law. In the same way, I want to, I want to make note of this. Because I know this may be a question in people's minds. With the, with the vaccine mandate that has come up, we have, we have offered our church a religious exemption. Okay, And we've got like four different ones. 
that my wife has been working on that we've got from different people, kind of making our own. We've got different... But I want you to understand this, guys. What it is and what it's not. It is for our church, for somebody who, within the law, within our constitutional rights, that it might help you uh, in a position that you're in with the employer. It's not... It's, we're not saying this is an exemption and you all have to take it. It's, it's for, as a shepherd of the church, I've had people ask me about it. And it's, and it's for our people that maybe could give them some help within the law if their job was threatened. Out of a conscience sake that they did not want to take the vaccine. Okay? That's what this religious exemption is. It's, it's, it's similar doing, doing something within our constitutional rights because this vaccine mandate that the government is trying to enforce basically we believe that the government is stepping out of their God-given lane to do that. They don't have the authority to do it. That's not what their role is when you see it in the Scriptures. Forcing people to inject something in their arm, guys, that's not the government's business. Think about if the government mandated that a person had to eat, that everybody had to eat certain foods. And it was a mandate. And yet, people are allergic to these foods. They don't, they're stepping way out of their lane to do this. And so we believe as a church that these things are matters of conscience. What you put into your body. You know, there's the whole... There's the whole aborted fetal cells issue that, that, a, that a Christian, it may be strictly against their conscience to be identified with anything that had to do with that. Some of these, and I've talked with Josh about that. Some of these vaccines are, in the, these fetal cells are used in their production. Some of them are used in the, uh, in the, uh, the testing. And so people have a right as a matter of conscience not to want something injected into their body. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's the point. And so, we believe as Christians that if a person has that conviction of conscience, then we would want to assist them. We don't even know how anything like that would hold up in court. But that's all that exemption is, okay? It's, It's very peaceful, and it's for somebody who would want it. It's available. And so, but yeah, I believe that a government forcing people, forcing people to inject something in their body that they have a God-given Christian conscience against for different reasons. I believe it's evil. Again, apply that to. Hey, you have. I mean, I, imagine if if they said we are mandating that everybody has to put this certain food in their body, and it's got. Let's just. I'm giving. I'm just giving examples, guys, to try to illustrate the principle that it's got a certain amount of gluten in it. I know people in here who would be deathly sick. And that should be their choice what they choose to eat. So that's all I'll say about that. But I wanted to mention uh, a little bit more on the Equality Act. Because it's definitely more just crystal clear good and evil. And and again, it's it's what our government desires to push. And I'm really surprised it hadn't got passed yet. I don't know why it hasn't. But again, it's going to be... It's going to be it'll make being an outspoken Christian, somebody who wants to live faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ in your everyday life, 
illegal in many senses. It could affect so many people, guys. Just think if you're in the medical field and you are asked to participate in whatever way the perversion of a sex change, some kind of surgery, some kind of uh, drug therapy. I'm not a medical guy, but I know those are going to be things coming down the road and you're asked to participate in that perversion. Do you obey God or do you obey man? That's the question we're all going to have to face. It's going to come, obviously, in the the classroom. Um, Rachel's already faced that, Galvin. You know, she's seeing some of that. Hunter's seen some of this. But when it comes national law that it is illegal to resist these things, Christians are going to have decisions to make. Do I obey the state, which is clearly asking me to do something evil, or do I obey God? Again, we have to remember the spirit that is behind it all, guys. The spirit that is behind it all is demonic. I say these things, guys, because we need to decide now these things. And then I'm just saying, I'm just telling you this, guys. And it's not only going to be in the in the office of a pastor. It could be on your job, my job, my my secular job. I don't even like saying secular job. My job that I work with FedEx, that I try to do to the glory of God. I will not call a he a she. Okay? I won't, will not do it. Calling a he a she is evil. I will not refuse to offer biblical counsel to a transgender or homosexual who's seeking counsel. I will not refuse that counsel. Because it will be against the law. They're already talking about these things. Being against the law if I dared open the Bible and gave them biblical counsel for somebody enslaved to this perversion. You could think of a hundred other examples, guys. I will not marry two men or two women. I will peacefully resist and take the consequences. I've determined that a long time ago. Guys, we can resist lawfully now. Some of these examples I've shared, we can resist lawfully now. But it may look like, may not, it may look like more like Daniel chapter 3 in the future. That if you don't do what we ask you, there's going to be severe consequences. Who are we going to obey? That's the question. Are we going to obey the state? Are we going to obey Caesar when they clearly ask us to do something that is an abomination to God? Or we are going to stand strong like Christians have done throughout church history and say, I will obey Christ because He is Lord. Again, I, I don't know what's coming down the state. These are just things that I know they're trying to get past. And I, like I said, I've seen it firsthand. Where these things are illegal. To say, Jesus Christ can and will save a homosexual. That is against the law in Scotland. That was my crime. Because what am I insinuating? That it's sinful. And so, beloved, we don't refuse to submit simply because... This is real important to remember, guys. 
We don't refuse to submit simply because rulers are evil, but because they ask us to do something particular that is evil. You guys ever have that mindset? Well, our government's evil, and so I'm just, I'm just so frustrated, I'm just not submitting to anything they ask. That's sinful. We are to submit. Except for when they ask us to do something in particular that is evil. That is biblical resistance. And then, again, we suffer whatever persecution comes. Beloved, you signed up for this when you came to Christ. We signed up for this. If anyone is not willing to take up his cross and follow me, he's not worthy to be my disciple, guys. That's dying to self. That's dying to our comforts. And yes, that may be, we may be placed in the time, maybe not, but to make difficult decisions for Christ. When I came to Christ in 1997, that was my heart. I don't know what you're going to ask me, Lord, but the answer is I want to follow you if you will forgive my wretched sins. And that needs to be our, our mindset. And we, need, we just need to learn to stand in little things. We need to train ourselves to stand in little things. Christ is Lord. And we're about to wrap up, guys. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary, he says this. It's a fairly lengthy quote, but I think he really sums up the balance of what I've tried to, I've tried to communicate. Okay? He says this in his, in his commentary. Ordinarily, believers will keep the commandments of ruling authorities. For in the normal course of life, governments punish evil behavior and reward good conduct. The inclination and instinct of believers then will be to submit to governing authority. By living a morally praiseworthy or by living morally praiseworthy lives they show that their ultimate authority is to god instead of the emperor at the same time they don't engage in anarchy and a kind of enthusiasm that rejects any human structures nevertheless if governments prescribe what is evil or or demand that believers refuse to worship god then believers as slaves of God must refuse to obey. You hear the balance in that? Our hearts should be bent towards obedience and submission to authorities. Unless there's an exception. You know, and I will say this, guys, we're going to close up pretty soon. But a very good example of how resisting of, of, of civil government getting out of their lane is when, when they were trying to force churches to shut down and we, we didn't. We weren't being rebellious. We just I simply understood that that's not their job to tell us whether we can meet or not. They were stepping out of their lane. That's why we continue to meet. Not to be rebellious, but to be obedient. Okay? So that, that was just another example I forgot to mention. Verse 17, guys, and we'll close. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. And it's all still under that umbrella as, as free men. What does it look like to live as a free man or a free woman of Jesus Christ? It's just a continuation of that. Honor all. Honor all men. Why do we honor all men, guys? Because they're made in God's image, right? That's why I don't want to call a boy a she. Because she was made in the image of God as a she. She'll stand before God as a she. 
And I want to respect the fact that they were made in the image of God. Lying to somebody about their gender is flat out evil. We honor all. Those who are, who are enslaved in perversion, we honor them by being truthful. We honor the wicked rulers because they're made in the image of God. We honor all people. We honor those who are still in the mother's womb who people want to rip to shreds and murder. No, we want to honor them by standing in the gap for them because they're made in the image of God. All people, pre-born, born, wicked leaders, those who are caught in perversion, our neighbors, we honor all for that reason. They are made in the image of God. Male and female, He made them. He says, love the brotherhood. I don't need to say a whole lot about that. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, Jesus said, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That should be our example to the world. Our love for one another. Fear God, He says. Now that's reserved only for God is the fear that we have. We are not to fear authorities. We are to fear God. What does Matthew 10.28 say? Jesus told His disciples, guys, we need to remember this as believers. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Our fear should be directed towards God and God alone. We fear God. When we fear God, that will help us not to fear man. Okay? And then lastly, honor the king. I think it's right that we finish with honor the king. That's what really the, the theme of the message has been, is honoring those who are in authority. Honor the king. Guys, the idea is showing him respect because of his office. Okay? What did the Scripture say? All of those who are in authority are there because God has placed them there. Our president is in authority not because of a rigged election, but because God placed him there. And we need, we need to honor him because of the office. And we need to pray again. I just want to really just close, guys, by encouraging you all. I know that was a lot. That, that doesn't answer every question, but I hope it gave you different principles maybe you hadn't thought about. But I definitely want to close by encouraging you all today to pray for your leaders. Pray for our leaders. Pray for them. Pray for them by name. Lift them up to the throne of God. Read 1 Timothy 2. About the first 8 or 10 verses, guys. You'll see the context that God desires to save all, the all, meaning all types of people, even these wicked rulers. Pray for them. Lift them up by name. It's really hard to have a bad attitude towards somebody who you are praying for. And if you do have a bad attitude and you're involved, I, I just want to encourage you to pray for them and avoid these, the sarcastic, godless chatter that just is prevalent throughout our culture. On Facebook, and in conversations that people are having about our leaders who we've been commanded 
to show respect to and pray for. And why do we do it? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, God, you have, um, you have established authority, Father, and, and you've given us instructions on how to obey and to submit. And, I, and Lord, that was just so much to say. And Lord, there's so many different examples in Scripture, Lord, of how there's times we resist. There's times we take what persecution is coming. There's believers who have no way of resisting in any way and just have to suffer the persecution. So there's all kinds of different forms of government, Lord, that You have established, Lord, and and I just pray that You would help us all to remember that, God, that it's all established by You. And our motive for submitting to authority should be our love and our fear of You and our desire to submit to You. And so, Father, help us, God, in these areas to... Lord, just moving forward, God, that we would have a just a, a biblical balance on these issues, Lord. That there would not be a seed of rebellion in our hearts. Lord, rebellion is, is the same as Your Word says, as that is witchcraft. And so, Father, we don't want to be these people who are trying to start a revolution and overturn our government, Lord. But Lord, we want to resist in a, in a biblical way like we see Your people resisting. Simply obeying Christ rather than obeying an evil command. And Lord, we love You. We thank You, Father, most of all for our freedom that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that that's what we will cherish, Lord, even more than our freedoms that we have in this land, God, but our freedoms that we have in Christ. We are free from the slavery of sin, from the penalty of sin, Lord. And by the time we, before we know it, Lord, we'll be in eternity. So Lord, I just pray that we would have a heavenly mindset, an eternal mindset with these things, Lord, to be obedient to You here on earth, but at the same time to remember as we looked at the last few weeks that this is not our home. This is not our home. And so Lord, I pray that even our freedoms that we have in this, in this country would not become our idols. But Lord, that we would look to Christ and that we would continue to point people to Christ, Lord. Whether we're living in peace or whether we're living in persecution, that we will just point people to Jesus Christ and trust You. We thank You for saving us, Lord. I pray that that if there's any here who do not know You, Lord, that they would submit to the highest authority and that is You. We love You and praise You in Christ's name. Amen.